0: With that song that we sang earlier, I expect that uh, Zacchaeus is one, one of the best known of the Bible stories, particularly by young people. But of course, that song only tells us a little bit about, uh, about Zacchaeus. It doesn't tell us anything uh, above the fact that he was vertically challenged, that he climbed a tree so that he could see Jesus, and that Jesus called him down so that he could visit Zacchaeus's house. Doesn't tell us that he was a tax collector. Doesn't tell us that he was well off. We're not told that the people seem to have a rather low opinion of Zacchaeus. And we're not told anything about his meeting with Jesus. This story has quite a difference from many of the other encounters with Jesus that we read about. Zacchaeus is actually not like many of the other characters. He didn't meet Jesus following public preaching where Jesus was talking to a crowd. He was not called as the disciples were called. Neither was he physically nor mentally ill and therefore in need of healing, as were others who sought Jesus. He was not from the socially elite class that Paul mentioned earlier and we heard about last week, uh, the Pharisees, and he, or the rich ruler. He was well off financially, so he was not amongst the poor and the hungry. And what sets this story a little apart, perhaps, is that on the whole, Zacchaeus was a well-to-do, fairly average sort of guy, but from a socially frowned-on group. Perhaps if we contrast this, uh, this week's reading and the, the, the story of Zacchaeus with last week's reading and the message uh, where Jesus dined at the house of the Pharisee, in today's story, Zacchaeus's friends would have been from that very different social strata from the Pharisees. And the issue of not seating oneself in a place of prominence in case someone of a higher social standing arrives, probably was not any great consideration at all to Zacchaeus and his friends. Um, somehow one feels that a, a meal there would have been rather more lively and joyous meal. Uh, and the Pharisees always seem a bit po-faced in, in some way or another. And uh, no doubt there was was just a better Friendly atmosphere in Zacchaeus's friends. But although he doesn't appear to have any observable need, he is nonetheless curious, and curious about Jesus. And when he hears that this man, who has a reputation for being friendly with tax collectors and other dubious and, and suspicious and unruly elements of society, when he hears that he's coming... He wants to see him. What we're not told is why he wanted to see him. What was it that prompted Zacchaeus to want to go and see this man he's heard about? What motivates him? We're only told that he wanted to see Jesus. We're not even told that he actually wanted to meet Jesus, just that he wanted to see him. And so that starts to raise one or two other questions. Uh, about the story of Zacchaeus, which, again, we actually don't have direct answers to, but which leads us perhaps to be able to think about some other biblical truths. For example, why did Zacchaeus wait until Jesus was present before offering to give away stuff? He could could easily have carried out all that giving away without waiting for Jesus to be there. Did he want Jesus to see him do it? Again, we actually have no information that he wanted to meet Jesus only to see him. Offering to give away his money doesn't seem, from the text, to be a response to Jesus admonishing him for his lifestyle. So maybe there's another reason, and we'll, we'll look at that again in a little while. As we said, he's a tax collector and as we know in the bible tax collectors were looked down on but taxes as such are not a problem and therefore in itself neither is being an employee of the state charged with gathering legitimate taxes romans 13 6 and 7 says this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are god's servants who give their full time to governing Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And as I'm sure we all are aware, the problem arose with the margin that was added by the tax collectors for their own purposes. And yet, there is no specific mention in the text that says that Zacchaeus was feathering his own nest with these additional taxes. So why does he suddenly volunteer repayment? One view of the text seems, it tends to be a little bit on where you put emphasis, but one view of the text seems to indicate that actually Zacchaeus operated his business with integrity. Because notice that Zacchaeus prefaces the offer of repayment with the word if. Does it mean that actually he's an honest tax collector who admits that he may have mistakenly made an error in taxing someone in the past, as we can all make genuine mistakes, and so he says, if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will repay. It may be that he's sometimes just wrongly assumed to be uh, corrupt simply because he was... But then if we look again at one of the verses, verse seven, uh, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So certainly the crowd uh, had that opinion. Just as a brief digression, the Bible refers to publicans and sinners in uh, the King James Version, and the NIV translate this, this as tax collectors and sinners. And Zacchaeus is described as the chief, as a chief tax collector, hence his wealth. Publicans in the Bible were those who undertook to collect taxes for Rome. Publicani in Latin, where we get the word uh, from the, 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 the public servants like that. The sinners who were grouped with the tax collectors were not ordinary sinners, the Pharisees, along with others, could readily admit, we all know perfectly well ourselves, uh, could admit that everyone is, after all, a sinner and in need of God's mercy and forgiveness. But the sinners associated with the tax collectors were in a special class. These were people who deliberately, habitually, and persistently transgressed the requirements of the law, and it included in this group those who were the moneylenders who charged interest on loans to fellow Jews because that is a clear violation of the law which is stated in Leviticus. Now, we have no evidence that Zacchaeus was also into money lending. possible of course, but we have no evidence that he was. But verse 7 does tend to lump him in with the group which included the moneylenders. And so, verse 7 implies that at least the crowd were of the opinion that uh, he did operate with uh, something less than total honesty. Though again, it could well have just been the assumption that all tax collectors and sinners were on the tape. So we have this as an unresolved question. Was he an honest tax collector or a dishonest one? And here's another question. Did Zacchaeus' size matter? Why is it specifically mentioned? Well, because of his size, the only way he could see Jesus was to be up the tree. Had he been six foot six tall, he could have stood at the back of the crowd, and because on the whole, perhaps people were shorter in those days, he still would have stood out, and Jesus could easily have noticed him. But there's a point here that Zacchaeus wasn't in the crowd. He wasn't even in the front row of the crowd. He was just a little bit away. He was up the tree, and because he was there, he was there because he was short, because he was there, when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, the crowd could see and hear the encounter. And evidently, from the uh, comments made about Jesus going to his house, many people knew him and had that low opinion of him. But those same people in the crowd who saw the meeting would know at some time in the future that any change in Zacchaeus would have stemmed from that time. And here's another question. Although there are queries which arise from this passage which don't give us any direct answers, does it matter? We can speculate, but does that get us any further forward? And if the answers are not there directly, what's the story there for? Are there truths in the story that any amount of speculation won't change and which stand eternally? And I think there are. In reading around and preparing for this morning, uh, a couple of times I've come across the suggestion that Zacchaeus was hiding up in the tree. But I don't see that. Uh, I think there is no suggestion in the Scripture that he was in any way hiding from Jesus. But neither was he drawing attention to himself. Uh, Perhaps it was rather undignified for this uh, wealthy man, but he must have pulled his toga around him, hitched it up and tucked it in, in his belt and shinned up a tree. And we're told why he was there, but not that he was hiding. He was there to see this man who people were talking about. Had he wanted to hide, he wouldn't have even been there. He could have stayed at home perfectly well. Uh, Incidentally, the sycamore fig tree that it refers to is not the sycamore as we know it, but uh, is a variety of fig, and it has apparently a not very pleasant-tasting fruit, but the way the branches are, it's easy to climb. So uh, that's, that's where he was. Up the tree, watching but not hiding, and the eternal truth here, of course, is that even if he'd wanted to hide from Jesus, he couldn't. Simply, neither can we. No one can hide. Um, Psalm 139 has something to say on this, particularly, and this is from the message: God, investigate my life, get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave. And you know when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. And I said to myself, Oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. But I wonder how many people in the world are trying to hide from God. I don't mean those who've never heard the gospel but those who have. I suppose some people do to try to hide physically from God, perhaps in the hope or belief that if God doesn't know where they are and can't see them, they're hidden. But how many more are hiding in all sorts of different ways? Perhaps some with the attitude that if I don't bother God, he won't bother me. Uh, and all I need to do is to keep a low profile. Or maybe some have the attitude... Plenty of time when I'm older to think about these God things and these sorts of matters. But at the moment, there's a career uh, to worry about or there's too much fun have, having going clubbing in the evening. Um, but we know that that's a really bad idea, really bad approach. Because in Proverbs 27, it says, Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring forth. Or James 4, that are familiar with, I think. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. There may be some try and hide in drink or get lost in drugs. Or a million other reasons and ways that they try to turn their back on God and try to hide from God. But you know what? If you turn your back on God, he doesn't go away. He's still there. Remember those... Lies from Psalm 139. And if a person ever turns, who's turned their back on God, turns round, he is still there. I guess that Psalm 23 is probably one of the best known scriptures from the Bible to everybody, Um, Christians and non Christians alike. And Psalm 23 also reminds anyone trying to. Uh, not be seen by God that even in the valley as dark as the shadow of death he is there and Psalm 23 is not just to comfort Christians it's a reminder to all that God is there for everyone but it does just make me wonder too if even Christians may sometimes try to not hide themselves from God but perhaps sometimes try to hide something or some aspect of their lives from God, something they're ashamed of, something they know to be wrong. That's only a question that we can each as individuals ask honestly of ourselves and talk to God about because Psalm 139 reminds us that God already knows if there's anything that we're trying to hide from him. So the sooner we talk to him about it, the better. But now, here's another thing which arises from Zacchaeus being up the tree. For whilst Zacchaeus wasn't specifically hiding, nonetheless, Jesus was seeking him. Jesus didn't just walk down the street and by chance happen to notice a guy up the tree and say, Hey, come on down, I'm hungry. I need to go to your house for something to eat. He looked up on purpose, knowing that Zacchaeus was up the tree, and he looked straight at Zacchaeus and called him by name. And the Bible tells us of others who God called by name. Many, but just, just a few examples. Uh, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Remember that Samuel was uh, called three times before Eli realized that it was God calling Samuel. So Eli said to the boy, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And in Acts, we uh, read, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And then a couple of verses later, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And God calls each one of us. We may not hear a voice directly calling our names. Probably most of us won't. God nonetheless knows each of us and engages our attention attention in his way. And as he chooses, and as is appropriate for us. And sometimes he will just, metaphorically of course, give us a tap on the shoulder. Or maybe still in a still small voice, just just come to you and you turn around. And it may be a long slow process for some of changing one's life direction. A long gentle nudging. I, I think of as the super tanker Uh, conversion. It just takes a long time, fairly gentle push, but eventually you've turned round. Or for some, it may be uh, that it's the equivalent to being knocked off your donkey on the Damascus Road. Margaret and I had a friend in uh, Dunstable at the church there when we uh, went there, Uh, Mike Jeffries, lovely man, absolutely super. Very gentle, quiet, kind. His daughter came to the church. But he hadn't always been like that. He had been, I think, uh, pretty physical with his first wife and his daughter and the family. There had been all sorts of problems. And this guy had got into a really bad place. And one day he was walking down the street in Dunstable and he turned and looked in a window of a shop and what was looking back at him was the man he was and he realised how awful and how horrible and nasty this man had become and almost literally uh, he was knocked off his donkey and he just collapsed he just went uh, then and there um, turned his life over. As I say, when we knew him, he was just just uh, a, a lovely man. In fact, he finished up as administrator of a, a, a large church uh, there in Dunstable. I don't think uh, I've ever heard God actually say Paul to me, but I have heard God in the Scriptures. I've heard him in my conscience, perhaps too often. I've heard him in thoughts that have come into my mind. I've heard him in circumstances and events in my life. And I've heard him in the words of God from God-fearing men and women. God talks to all of us in so many different ways. But the important thing is to respond when we hear or feel God's call. When he's talking to us or trying to attract our attention, we need to respond. And Zacchaeus did. So he's not hiding. Jesus has seen him exactly where and when he knew he would. And Jesus called him by name. We've seen that now. But it wasn't just a call to come down from the tree. It's um, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So there's a real imperative here. And Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus responded. He came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. But why the urgency? This is another thing which we're not told in so many words. no direct answer from the text. But maybe verse eight helps us to think a little bit about Zacchaeus's needs because we're told that he felt it right to give half his possessions to the poor and offers to pay back four times the amount of money if he's cheated anyone. We still don't know whether Zacchaeus conducted his business honestly or whether there was something a bit dodgy uh, about it all. But in making these offers did Zacchaeus somewhere in his mind realise his own need? Note that Paying back four times the money, if he's cheated anyone, may be from a feeling of wrongdoing, maybe from a feeling of, of having done wrong in his business dealings. And that's a repayment, that's a, a recompense. However, giving away half his possessions is not so much an admission of having done wrong in business, but rather an acknowledgement that he is financially much more fortunate than others, and that if he has a guilty feeling here, it's for not having given to the poor as is commanded by the law in several places in the Old Testament, and in Deuteronomy 15 in particular. So although they're both put together in this, uh, in this verse about the uh, four times payment and giving half his possessions, they're actually two separate issues In Romans, we're reminded that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need salvation, for we're all sinners. And maybe Zacchaeus really wanted to change his life. Maybe he had been convicted and and just had that uh, feeling of of having sinned. Perhaps he had thought about getting his life in order before, but lacked the strength of character and had been longing for a change that drove him up the tree that day when Jesus passed through Jericho. We've already seen that he wanted to see Jesus, but not told why. And Jesus' reputation uh, as a controversial teacher who drew uh, crowds and a miraculous healer had preceded him. So was it solely curiosity? Or was there a greater need in Zacchaeus' life that drove him up the tree? Something within him that desperately hoped that even seeing Jesus would make a difference in his life? And was it in the encounter with Jesus that opened his eyes to Jesus being his savior? Was the giving away of a significant part of his possessions actually an act of repentance once he has become convinced of sin? Again, we can speculate a bit. But just from the text, what we do see is that Zacchaeus met Jesus. Jesus spoke with him. Jesus saw his readiness for salvation. And there is nothing more urgent than salvation. For we're reminded, as earlier, we do not know what tomorrow brings. For anyone who has not yet sought salvation, it is urgent. Jesus says that salvation has come to Zacchaeus's house. Zacchaeus did not purchase his salvation by giving money to the poor. His actions reveal a life transformed by an encounter with Christ. As far as we know, Zacchaeus didn't change jobs. He was a tax collector before he met Christ and apparently continued collecting taxes after he met Christ. His job was the same, but maybe a tax collector who had given his life to Jesus would result in fair dealing and, more importantly, be a witness to others. Remember the people in the crowd who would have witnessed Zacchaeus' meeting with Jesus Now they know the change in Zacchaeus came about from his meeting with Christ. The kingdom of God needs followers of Christ in all walks of life and it should be our aim to serve him wherever we find ourselves. Salvation is urgent. Uh, one tends to make the assumption that all of us here uh, have our lives right with Christ and are saved. But that may not be a, a, a valid assumption. And if anybody does feel that need to, uh, to bring their lives to Christ, or wants to talk to anyone, there are uh, Judy, Paul, myself, there are deacons here. Uh, there are many God-fearing people here please feel that the time to uh, to talk about it uh, is is now amen